Welcome to The Art of Badassery, where I explore what it takes to live life on your own terms, break free from the status quo, and unleash your inner badass. Whether you're a rebel at heart or simply seeking inspiration to step outside your comfort zone, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Mahara Wayman, and each week I dive into the stories, insights, and strategies of those who have mastered the art of badassery and are living life to the fullest. They smile when no one is looking. Welcome to The Art of Badassery, the podcast where I dive deep into the stories and journeys of truly extraordinary individuals who have mastered the art of living life on their terms. I'm your host, Mahara Wayman, and today, man, I have a super cool guest. She embodies the essence of unapologetic self-expression and empowerment. My guest today, Jessica Kazanuski, is not your average achiever. At just 43 years old, she's already accomplished more than many do in their entire lifetime. So are you sitting down? Jessica was unjustly institutionalized at 15 years old. She did get out five days later. She has a narcissist stepmother and an alcoholic father, and that experience prompted her to be emancipated from her parents at the age of 16. She married her first husband at 18, who coincidentally was also a narcissist and an alcoholic. And that marriage lasted for 18 years. From a young age, though, she held aspirations that could only be described as a blend of the magnetic charm of Oprah Winfrey and the motivational prowess of Tony Robbins. In fact, her eighth grade yearbook predicted her future as a talk show host. Her journey took her from the vibrant streets of the northwest side of Chicago, where she graduated high school at 16, to the academic halls of the University of Illinois, Chicago, where she graduated at 20 with a degree in psychology. But that's just the beginning of her story. Now she finds herself on the southwest side of the Windy City, where she's embarked on a new adventure, pursuing her passion as a coach. While she's no stranger to working with clients in the business world, this recent leap into the world of personal transformation truly sets her on fire. She is a holistic empowerment coach specializing in childhood trauma. Her business is called Rise Beyond Your Roots. But her life isn't all about work and ambition. She knows how to have fun too. Whether it's rocking out at concerts, indulging in road trips that take her to the quirkiest and most charming spots, or immersing herself in cultural events, she's done it all. So listeners, fasten your seatbelts, get your favorite drink, just relax because in this episode, we're going to uncover some of the secrets of her journey and the unrelenting pursuit of her dreams, the lessons that she's learned along the way and the courage that she has relied on time and time again. So get inspired, get empowered and be entertained as we explore the art of badassery with our guest, Jessica. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mahara. I'm so thrilled to be here. You are a wonderful host, honestly. Uh, people oh. need to binge listen to your your uh, your podcast. It is phenomenal, really. Okay, I did not pay for that. People, I no, no, you already. did not. I I've been I, I've been binge listening. So it, you really are. You're an excellent interviewer, and you embody what you say. Well, thank you very much. That is graciously received. I was a little blown away because, folks, just so you know, I always my guests fill out a form, and one of the questions is, "Can you tell me a bit about yourself? What's your bio?" And from that information, I quickly write an introduction. And I always start with that introduction, obviously, but I clear it with the, with the guest. And 
Jessica said, well, that's interesting, but did tell you about this? Didn't I tell you about that? I should have had the recording button on because it's quite the story. So Jessica, with your permission, I'd like to go back to your being a, a young woman, a teenager, right? Sure. 15, 15 years old. Can you talk to us about the situation you found yourself in and how you found the strength to fight it? What's that story? So my parents, uh, I will, will rewind even a little bit further uh, briefly just to give you context. My parents, um, I, was the pre I was the product of a teenage pregnancy. My parents were both, well, my father was Catholic. My mother was Lutheran, but it very much of, you know, you're going to marry that girl uh, attitude. So they got married, which they should have never, ever done. My father would, my, they'd fight like cats and dogs and that's being kind. My father would go out and drink. My mother would cry, you know, carry on. Um, she was also very, she was, uh, she's been diagnosed actually a bipolar narcissist. She beat me relentlessly while he was there. And then one day he left because he got my stepmother pregnant and because he had been having an affair with her. So he moved in with her. They consequently divorced. I bopped back and forth between both homes. It was, I couldn't take her anymore. I'd go live with him for, you know, short periods at a time because I, it was very well known by my stepmother that I was not welcome. She had a child from a previous marriage and then they had my sister between them. And it was, I was welcome, but not really. Like little things even that she did was when she bought a new dining room set, she bought four chairs and there was five of us. So, you know, it, but it was just like these, and I know that sounds, in, but it's it was these little things of like, you're not, this is not your home. Well, after one particularly awful fight and where my mother ripped my clothes off of me and proceeded to throw me down the stairs, I ran out of my house and ran to hit my father's house. And I stayed there for three months. And he had started, you know, having the conversation with his wife of, you know, we got to figure out where she's going to stay because she can't keep sleeping on the couch. And that's when I think she decided to uh, put a stop to that. So she tried on me first, you know, don't you want to go back to your mom and this and that? And I, of course, did not because out of the two evils, he was slightly lesser. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she then started working on him. I come to find out and say, you know, she is she doesn't she's a threat to, to my, my little sister. She's a threat to her because in therapy, I had said to my father, you know, well, why is it that she gets a father? And I don't get a father. You know, why Why did you leave and go? So my stepmother had turned that into, she's a threat to me. She's a threat to your daughter. Had convinced him. And he cannot stand up to a woman in his life. He has never stood up to his mother. He has never stood up to either of his wives. He's never stood up to me. I mean, he'll tell you to this day, uh, she doesn't talk to me. She's mad at me. I'm I'm really not. I just, I'm, you, you don't do what you're supposed to do as a father. So I'm kind of done with you. She worked behind the scenes. He found a psychiatrist that, was there are a lot of good doctors and there are a lot of really crappy ones too. And he was interested in keeping the insurance. My dad had good insurance that could have kept me in there for 30 days. So he said, absolutely, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll bring her in. I was put on the floor. I was literally, if you asked me, I was kidnapped. My father said, we're going to go for a ride. And we went and I sensed like my inner and in my internal, this visceral feeling that something was off. We pulled into this hospital that I had never seen before. He said, we're just going to go in there and talk. And I didn't leave. And so, of course, I tried calling my mother and my mother called and we hadn't spoken in three months, but she immediately called to try to get me out of there because she's a nurse. And while she's uh, not right in the head, she also knows that a lot of these, especially state funded facilities, are not great places. You know what I mean? So she called and they informed her that she was no longer the custodial parent because he had behind her back gone and got an emergency cut. So he planned all of this. This was 
methodical. This was done on purpose. So then I had to take matters in my own hands. And she basically told me that she said, I can't do anything to help you. So I called the 1-800 number of which I was given in the packet of information that you're given when you're institutionalized. And they didn't want to let me call. And I threw a fit at the risk of being thrown in a padded room, which I was twice because I threw a fit both times to for my rights. And I I called and I explained the situation to the lady and the lady said, I'm going to call, you know, the doctor. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Hang tight. In the meantime, they were giving me doses of Prozac that were enough to stun a cow. And that was the, that was their goal is they were just trying to get me to shut up and go along with the program for 30 days. And then all of a sudden I would, I'd be miraculously healed and released, which I didn't do. So I was hiding them under my tongue and spitting them out in the bathroom. And there was one nurse that would make you lift up your tongue. And one of the uh, patients who was a, a boy about my age, he, he told me, he goes, I know what you've been doing. She's gonna check under your tongue. You got to swallow it. So I did. And then I went in the bathroom and made myself throw up because I knew what these pills were going to do to me. They were going to make me a zombie. When I was finally released, my mother and my aunt came to pick me up and I went to my father's house for clothes. I didn't say a word to my stepmother. I barely said a word to him, took my clothes, went to her house. And I, I thought about suicide when I, cause I went, I can't deal with these people anymore. They're is going to her was no better than being with him. And sorry, I get a little emotional still about that. And my friend who, uh, was a big, we were both really big into uh, grunge rock and everything. She read Rolling Stone magazine and it just so happened there was an article in there about uh, Alicia Silverstone getting emancipated, which is common practice among child actors. So they can, you know, work around child labor laws. And she's like, you got to try this. So I was desperate. So I started calling all kinds of, I called the state's attorney first because, you know, he's the state's attorney. Who, <laughs> who else are you going to call? He hung up on me and told me to stop fighting with my mother. Um, and then I went through the yellow pages and and he didn't believe me, obviously. To be honest, he didn't even give me the opportunity to get that far in my story. And I kept calling lawyer after lawyer after lawyer. And finally, this one, she said, you're either the, the best liar or, you know, there's truth. So I went downtown, met with her, and she took my case pro bono. She even paid the filing fees. I mean, she was my angel. And she served both my parents, because you have to. And neither one showed up the day of court. And I was so nervous. I mean, I was soaked. I was sweating through my clothes because I'm like, this guy holds my future because if things were bad after trying to divorce my parents, they were going to get worse. So he said, I believe you because neither one bothered to show up. And she showed proof that they were both, you know, handed papers. And so here I am at 16 with custody of myself and absolutely no idea what to do with myself. I had to show papers to college because I went to junior college first. I had to show papers to qualify for like the Pell Grants and stuff like that because they don't do it past 18 and then they still look at your parents' finances. Well, I had to prove, you know, I was emancipated, which they had never heard of before because I was the first minor in the state of Illinois on the books to do that. And then for all I know, I'm still the only minor. I have no, <laughs> I have no idea. And then it's same with a landlord when I rented an apartment, you know, I had to show, hey, I can legally sign this lease. I had two saw horses that you put wood on and a piece of plywood for a dining room table. I had my twin mattress and on the floor from my bedroom, I had nothing. I had a black and white television that was in my bedroom and I was walking two and a half miles to work every day and walking home and 
still trying to go to school and, you know, do all that. And, but it, the peace that I had was worth it. Like even not knowing how I was going to pay my bills from day to day, it was just, it was worth it. So, yeah. So first off, I'm sending you a big hug and I'm just kind of gobsmacked actually, because really what you said to me sounds like a movie story and it's quite, it, it's shocking. But what I, I, what I want to highlight is that badassery, which is of course what, what we're here to talk about, it comes in many forms. And I, I think it's important to highlight that you were, you were only 15. You were just a, you were just a kid. Now, granted, a part of you must have been a very old soul, you, you know, because you had the wherewithal to stand up for yourself. But can you think back to a time where you just knew that's it? I, it's me or nothing. And where that switch happened, where you decided or where you chose to say, I'm going to fight this. Um, which which one? <laughs> the the institutionalization or, the, or just in general, leaving them and, and divorcing them? I think just in general, because, you know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to get out of this institution. I'm going to, I got a 1-800 number, I'm on it. It's another thing to go, okay, wait a second. I need a long-term fix. And while I believe truly that the universe is always giving us the answers, the guts that it would have taken, I think, a 15-year-old to, to say, oh, emancipation from my parents? I'm going to investigate that. Like that's, even adults may not have the guts to investigate that. So I'm just curious, where did that fortitude come from? Well, uh, I, I remember the exact night, actually, because um, I had been home and I don't know if you, I mean, I, if you've dealt with this on your, on your podcast, I know, but a narcissist they play the game really well. So my mom, uh, when I came back, I was, you know, the best, the world's greatest daughter and she couldn't shower me with enough love and attention and affection. And then one day for no particular reason, it had itself, which I knew it was going to, I mean, I've been down this road with her before over various things and she blew up at me and she took a, a wooden baseball bat that like the, the novelty ones that you get at like the cup, well, I'm a Cubs fan. It did. I got it at uh, Wrigley Field. It, it's a solid wooden bat, but it's about, I don't know, two feet long. And she cracked me over the face with it and broke my nose because I didn't vacuum when she was at work and woke me up like that. And I was bleeding. And then we had to go to the hospital. And of course, I had to lie because I knew if I didn't that, you know, um, child services was going to get involved. And that's a whole nother, you know, pardon my French, but shit show that you don't want to get involved, with, you know? And so I was like, the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't. So she had me lie. I went and got my nose fixed and not able to breathe, crying hysterically. When we got home, I just went, I it's, it's, it's this, or I'm going to die here one way or another, either by choice or by her hand, I'm going to die here. So I went in, I have nothing to lose and potentially everything to gain. And I just started making those phone calls and begging people to talk to me, begging people to call me back. And finally someone listened and she's, I, I wish I kept in touch with her, but she insisted that I, I don't and just go live my life. And that would be the best gift to her. And, but she was, she was this amazing woman and took pity on me. <laughs> I don't know how to put it. She took pity on me because I was a pitiful, I really was as strong as I was. It, I was still just, I was so broken. I'm again, gobsmacked. That's a ridiculous word, but I am so impressed that 
you had the wherewithal to sort of think this all through. And for those of you that may be wondering if you've never experienced it or you've needed it, let me just reiterate, there are angels that walk among us. There are. And one of the most beautiful traits of being a badass is asking for what you want. And I just want to commend you and say, you know what, at 15 to hit bottom and know that you had to dig deep and ask for what you want, even beg for it, takes a lot of courage. And I just, I'm so glad that you did that. I'm so glad. Well, thank you. Thank you. Let's, let's jump forward a little bit. You left your mom, mm-hmm. your own at 16, you graduated high school, you went to college, university, you met and married at a young age had, uh, I'm going to guess, a not so healthy marriage, your first marriage. Not at all. No, Mm -mm. he was not abusive uh, physically. Absolutely not. But he was uh, about as verbally abusive as a human being can get. So you studied psychology. And what were you telling yourself through these 18 years of a bad marriage with a narcissist and an alcoholic after you'd fought so hard to leave it, to leave something, to leave something like that? Yeah. And now you're choosing to be with it. No, that's a, that's a valid question. When you come from a divorced home, especially when having studied psychology and not just the the books I was given in school. I mean, I have dove into every, I, if there is a, a topic or, or a technique or, a, you know, around trauma, man, I am there. I am reading it. I am taking it all in. I didn't want to fail. I looked at my parents like they had failed in their marriages my mom has been married multiple times. Uh, my father and his wife have a non-existent marriage. It's on paper, but they aren't, they aren't what I would define as marriage. And I didn't want to be the cliche. I didn't want to fail at it. I didn't want to uh, look at myself in the mirror and go, yeah, you're, you, com- you completed the cycle. Good job. You know, like that was, I didn't want to do that. And I held on to the hope that he would change, the hope that I was all the things that I would absolutely tell others not to do because it's never going to happen. I did. Even in, the, even in the midst of healing, I was absolutely, and I mean, he had bouts in the hospital from the drinking. I mean, he was a, a stone cold alcoholic and mean, and I just kept taking the abuse and harboring it and thinking I was somehow paying my penance. And then we were going to have a healthy marriage. Like he was going to wake up one day and realize I was this wonderful person that he loves. and. That never happened. And I finally got the courage to just say, you know what, enough. We hadn't been intimate in double digit years. We were living as roommates. And it was just, it, I had more in the marriage. Like at some point in time, I had realized that I'm staying in it just to say I succeeded, which sounds so stupid now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> but, but at the time, it meant a lot to me. And I finally went, you know what, it, it's not fair to me. And it's not fair to him to keep staying like that. You know, I mean, I hope he's happy. We, we, don't have children so I don't speak to him but I hope he's happy I hope he found someone that loves him and maybe maybe he went and got help maybe he changed for someone I don't you know I really do I don't I'm not bitter about it because I'm as much to blame as he is I stayed so we're going to take a short break right now but I'll be back with my guest within 60 seconds ladies unlock your inner badass and transform your life with my monthly subscription workshop For just $47 a month, you'll have exclusive access to work closely with me, Mahara Wayman, as we dive deep into all things badass, from personal development to conquering your goals. Imagine waking up every day with confidence, 
purpose and a smile that radiates your newfound strength. Take advantage of this badass opportunity and join us today at www.mindfulnesswithmahara.com and start your journey toward a happier, more confident you. Smile when no one is looking. You've earned it. Isn't it interesting that you can be so observant and articulate and astute with all of your observations and, and recognizing and, and acknowledging and yet be so blind to something that's right in front of you. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is we can all benefit from looking inwards, right? No matter how great your life is, we can all benefit from doing that and not to take away from all of the growth that you've done. Because I truly believe that when we are ready, miracles happen. When we're ready for it, we, we see it. Like the universe yes. put in our way lots of opportunities for growth. Sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. And what I'm hearing is, despite the courageous acts that you had to do when you were a teenager, you were still just a little girl. Mm -hmm. just a little I just girl. wanted to be loved. Yeah, exactly. You just wanted to be loved. You wanted to feel safe. You almost like jumping from the fire into like another warm pan. <laughs> Maybe not, not, not worse, but certainly not where you wanted to be or where you deserve to be. So it took a while for you to learn the lessons. Today, let's talk about where you're at today, because you have remarried. Yes. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about, if you wouldn't mind, if you were to compare the two, the two marriages or the two lives, who you were then and who you are now. Oh, gosh, uh, it's like night and day. And I know that's that's cliche to say that, but it, they are, are nothing alike. He, my husband now is, I've never had a cheerleader before. I'm always the cheerleader whether personally or professionally, I'm the one that goes, you can do this. This, you, this is within your, re absolutely. Who, you know, don't say you can't, don't say, you, you know, you're limited by this, that, or the other, freaking do it. And I've never had anybody turn the tables and do that for me. And he is a hundred percent. He, he thinks more of me than I do. <laughs> He's the most, he, it's just, it, we have such open communication. We are so loving with each other we're passionate he's he's wonderful he wants to actually join me in coaching when he he's right now in physical therapy and it wasn't where his heart lied and he wants to do like sports sports coaching not actual like on the field but like psychology sports psychology coaching he's wonderful he's everything i prayed for when i was a little girl like i went okay god you know what you gave me two horrible parents there better be some rectifying of this as I get older and then I met my first husband and I was like this is not what I ordered and you know it so I kept like holding out hope like I also felt like I was being a bad Christian by like going against him and you know like because I thought okay this is the man he gave me maybe it's my job to help him you know what I mean and then we'll have this great marriage so like there was a there was a whole lot going on there internally and I went I finally realized I went you know what I'll make my peace with God if I if I did commit sin by getting divorced, then I'll make my peace with him when I, when I die. I want you to describe you versus the new you versus the old you. Like, what's the biggest difference? I'm not afraid to do anything. I am not all those thoughts that go through, you know, that go through your head of, hey, let me try this or let me do this or let me say this. I'm not afraid to do any of it. I have a whole lot of sass that lives inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I 
I have, I have no problems expressing it. I have a lot of uh, controversial things in my front yard that aren't conducive to the neighborhood we live in. I'm very open and loving and free, and we don't live around people who are open and loving and free, and I don't care. <laughs> and I mean, our, our house is like the bullseye on the block, and I don't care, because I go, you know what? This is me, I don't care. I will be the first person to stand up for someone's rights. I will be the first, if you're being bullied, I'm there for you. If you're if you're down, I am there for you. And, and not even just friends and family, people I don't know. I, I just met someone who's gonna be doing uh, photographs for me and someone's in the hospital. And my first instinct was, can I help? I've never actually met this woman, but that's just how I am. And it, that would have been put down in my, in my previous marriage. He would have been like, you know, you, you belong to me. I'm the one you're supposed to be helping to be able to live and fully expressed is amazing and not be afraid of any repercussions because of it. What I love about your story, not only that, obviously it's a story of resilience, but what I'm finding in my work, guys, I want you to pay really close attention to what I'm going to say. When we give ourselves permission to be who we are and to feel the feelings, the anger, the rage, the love, the joy, the silliness, whatever, when we are authentic beings, it's like the world opens up and it becomes truly light and magical and we want to give. When we are hurting and angry and disillusioned and fearful, we close down and we don't want to do anything except get through the fucking day. But when we give ourselves permission and we do the work, because it all comes with work, Jessica didn't overnight become this incredibly enlightened soul. She had to go through a lot of stuff and we all do. But when we go through it and wake up on the other end going, okay, you know what? I am worthy of this life and I want to live it. One of the repercussions is that we tend to be really happy and we want to help other people. We want to be of service and and smile and 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 do things. So I'm not overly surprised at Jessica, that that's how you're describing yourself now. And it's a beautiful thing to be. So, you know, I say quite often to my clients, never underestimate the power of a smile, right? When you smile at somebody and their eyes light up, cause they're like, Oh my God, somebody sees me and they don't know me. It's magical. It helps to, it helps to cement our recognition that we matter. So I'm going to challenge you guys to go out and smile at a stranger today after listening to this episode, because man, oh man, it's powerful stuff. As human beings, we want to feel connected to each other. So talk, talk to us now about what you are doing. You've got this amazing coaching company. What do you love most about your work? One of them is explaining people, you can make the decision. It doesn't mean it's all going to shift overnight, but you can make that decision of saying, I'm done living in the past. I'm done letting it control me. That doesn't mean you're going to wake up tomorrow and everything's going to miraculously be okay. And you're going to know how to handle emotions that you were never allowed to express. It just means that you've made that shift. I am a big Beatles fan and John Lennon was a, a heroin addict and he never went to rehab. He said, I just decided I was done. And he went through the physical detox. But when that was done, he said, I'm done. And, and, and it is that simple. It's not easy but it's that simple. And when you, when you start to frame it and people see that they, it's very empowering. At least I hope it is because that's, that's how it's meant to be. And the other is when people start to see, especially in their relationships that they're mirroring their parents, not them, but everyone around them. 
I was in my twenties and I realized that every female around me was my mother. And it was like it, the blood drained from my face. When I came to that epiphany, I was like, holy cow, every single woman around me is her. And it's because you, your brain wants to fix that relationship so badly. So it's going to fix it with someone else. And then you can prove, you talk about this a lot, you know, you, you can prove you have the, um, the confirmation, the brain confirmation. So if I can fix this relationship, maybe I can fix that relationship with my mom. Maybe I can fix that relationship with my dad. And of course it doesn't work. I just want to jump in here and say the thing to recognize guys is most of this is very deep unconscious work don't consciously go through, okay, I hated my first boyfriend and I'm going to, I want to date everybody in the world that is just like him. So I can figure out how to deal with him. That's, we don't do that consciously. It's unconscious behavior that leads us going, but wait a second, huh? Then you do it again, but wait a second, huh? And part of the work that both Jessica and I do is we, we hold up a mirror and, and allow you to see the patterns that you're repeating. And the big question is not to, not to copy Dr. Phil, but is that, how's that working for you? When we recognize that things aren't working for us and we give ourselves permission to, as you said earlier, which I thought was really beautiful, feel the feelings that we were never allowed to feel, then true, true healing happens. So thank you for sharing. You now work with adults specifically that have had childhood trauma. Yes. Are there any specific modalities that you, that you use regularly or do you have? Right now it is I do mostly one-on-one, -on -one. so it's tailored to the individual, but I, I find that the secret sauce is self-worth and self-love and self-concept because you don't even know. I can't tell you how many times I say, who are you? And the person just like, they don't, they don't know how to answer that question. They'll give me what they do for a living or if they're married or if they're a parent, you know, and I'm like, no, those are all acts and they are part of your identity, but who are you? What is your core? And they don't know because they were never allowed to develop that. And they don't love, I mean, like I can teach you how to set boundaries and maintain them, but if you don't believe you deserve to, you're not going to do it. And that's, that's the secret sauce. That's the, that's the huge part of it all. And then once you start feeling worthy, then you start looking at all of your relationships. It starts to happen without even realizing that it's happening. Once you start to develop that. I agree. I see it. I see it in, I've seen it in myself. I certainly see it in my clients. And this is really interesting. I've, I've seen it very clearly in my children. My children are grown up 20 and 25, one studying psychiatry, psychology, excuse me, and has called me on the carpet for many things, which is good. <laughs> but it really is amazing when, you know, human beings, we want to be happy, right? For the most part, I, I'm not even going to get into to the people that choose and really enjoy being miserable and mean and, and violent and all of those things. But your average person really does want to be happy. And when you give them the tools to get there, wow, it's amazing. And sometimes it can be very simple, like, let's just talk about who you are. How do you describe yourself? And where I see it quite a bit in my work, Jessica, is when I ask people, what do you dream about? And they look at me blankly. I'm like, mm -hmm. it's dream, like, okay, what could you dream about? And some, for some people, it's like pulling teeth. They've never, they've never had permission to dream for whatever reason that's above your station. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't deserve that. How could you ever, you know, words like that. So it, while on the one hand, it's heartbreaking to have somebody stare at me in the face over zoom going, I don't even know how to dream. 
it is so it is changeable. Like you can you can give yourself permission to to do that, and it's so amazing. And then you get to the point where it's like, oh my god, can you stop talking about all of these dreams? Like we got to move on. Okay, get it. You not know the dream. I love it. Let's let's move on to an, let's let's move on to something else. All right. I want to just do a, a quick recap here. You had a pretty traumatic, horrible childhood. You five days institutionalized. You were sneaky enough to withstand the drugs. You made the call. You were insistent. You got out. You had a little bit of time with your mom. Again, you realized, wow, pedal meets the metal. I got to make a decision here. You emancipated yourself from your parents. You went to school, got, got a degree, had a marriage, left the marriage, and now you're working. First of all, now you're happily married with an amazing man who's your cheerleader, which I love. And you are doing this business, which brings you such joy. What don't we know about you? I believe in human design. It is uh, something that has actually helped me in, in, in ways that the trauma didn't answer certain questions. Like I have a uh, repelling and enveloping aura and there is no one that's lukewarm about me. And I'm sure there will be people who are listening to this that are going to either hate me for whatever reason or go, she's, you know, better than sliced bread. And that's, that's been my whole life. And it, it's, it's very isolating when you have no idea why people don't like you. And it's because I, I stand up for, and I, I've always been that way, like where I always stand up for, cause probably because I didn't have the nerve, even as a small child to stand up for myself or the ability to, but I always stand up for people. So that knowing that literally that's just how God made me. And I went, I went, there's, there's no, there's no work that needs to be done. This is just who I am. And I need, I need to just uh, accept that. So human design has been huge for me. And it's something I recently have dove down the rabbit hole on the fun side. I, I, I always wanted to be a, a singer and I sing, uh, I, I used to sing in school and I, uh, I used to sing in choir and I, I still love it. And I still would do it professionally in a heartbeat if I, if I could. Uh, <laughs> and I, I always, I'm, I'm very socially and politically involved, which I know that your show doesn't dive into. And I understand why, but uh, I'm very much, um, I fight the good fight as, as I would say, you know, always helping out those who need it, you know, cause tomorrow could be you. That's like my philosophy. I love that. I, I want to share a funny story. I used to be an entertainer. And I remember auditioning once. I can't believe I'm telling the story, but I was auditioning for a local show in Vancouver and I had to sing and dance. So I did a little tap dance. I had a cold. I remember I was dancing, jazz dancing. I was doing fuetes, which is a, a turnaround and your leg goes like this. And it felt like snot was flying out of my nose. I mean, I really wasn't well. And then I had to sing and I sang a couple songs, nothing major. And I remember the producer, somebody there, he ended up, he was the producer. He said, you know, that's fine. That's great. But could you sing something else? And I'm like, okay. Thinking, I don't even want to be here. And he said, could you sing memories from cats? And all I could think of was a Barbra Streisand version version. And I started laughing. I said, oh, for God's sakes, if I could sing that, I would hardly be auditioning for your little show. And I meant it quite seriously. Like, what do you think I am? Like, I can't sing that song. I'm not going to talk and the whole panel cracked up. I didn't get the gig, obviously. But I remember thinking, okay, you know what? I think I'm done with this. I don't think I should be <laughs> kind of find another way to pay the bills. But I love that you have found such joy in your in your world, Jessica, really. And I'm so I don't I've just met you now, but I'm just so proud of the little girl that you were, recognizing that you deserved more. 
and you were willing to ask for it. And for those of you listening, ask for what you need or what you want. You may be pleasantly surprised that the world will listen, right? And that's what this podcast is all about, is recognizing that you matter. Every single one of us matters, even though we've done shitty things. Doesn't mean we don't matter. So please check out the show notes. I am going to put ways to connect with Jessica. And she actually has um, a really cool workbook that you will have access to when you check out the show notes. My name is Mahara. This has been the Art of Badassery. Jessica, we are going to have to do this again because oh yes, I want to dive in a little bit more into human design. There is a podcast episode where one of the guests talks about human design and psych her psychedelic experience. And it was the first time I'd actually heard about human design. So I was fascinated. And it is, it is a fascinating modality to, to look into. But I wish yes. you an amazing afternoon. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for your support. Please share this episode or any episode with anyone that you think could do with a little bit of motivation and a little bit of sass because they are badass, just like you. We will see you next week on The Art of Badassery. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to The Art of Badassery. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and gained valuable insights to help unleash your inner badass. If you found this podcast helpful, please leave a rating or review on your favorite platform. Your feedback not only helps me improve the show, but it also helps others like yourself discover the podcast. Until next time, keep embracing your authenticity and living life on your terms. Here's to you. Thank you.